Hello and welcome to Romancing the Amazon. I'm Melody. I'm Zoe. And I'm Elizabeth. Each week, we pick a romance novel that's being offered for free in the Kindle store on Amazon. We read it and review it for you guys, except every fifth week or so. And that's when we each pick a different romance novel. We call it our grab bag episode. And that's the episode we're on this week. It's very exciting. We're wrapping up Highlander romance novels. It's been a roller coaster, but we're pretty excited about our grab bag episodes because yep. this week we went to the library. Yay! I love libraries. The best source of free romance novels out there. <laughs> yes, and the one we utilize most frequently, Indeed. even though our whole thing is Kindle books, we use the library more than anything else. Yeah, oh, yeah, tried to switch it up a little bit just for funsies and gotta say pretty pleased with the results. Mm -hmm. We're each going to have three minutes to summarize our books. We're going to vote on which ones we think sound the most interesting, have a few laughs along the way, and at the end, the winner, whoever receives the most votes, will win a prize. Since Elizabeth won our last grab bag episode, she got to pick the prize. And what is that prize, Elizabeth? So this week, we are competing for cocktail skewers shaped like swords. (laughs) (laughs) And they are in rainbow colors. Nice. Delightful. then let's dive right in. Elizabeth, what did you read this week? So this week, I read Falling for the Highlander by Lindsay Sands, book four of the Highland Bride series. And I would note nowhere on the cover or the physical copy of the book itself does it say it was a book four of a series. Ah, well, are you ready to summarize for us? I'm as ready as I'll ever be. Okay, go. Marine's brother, Lord Danbury's, has gambled away the family fortune and her dowry. When Dougal arrives at their keep to sell Danbury some horses, he has no money to pay Dougal. Danbury's instead offers his sister as payment. Dougal is disgusted and leaves, but Maureen is smart enough to realize that her brother is going to make the same offer to someone else. So she decides to run away on her pet bull and ends up bumping into Dougal and his brothers on the road. She faints, and they decide they will take her with them and escort her to safety. They get to talking, and she finds out that, surprise, they're the brothers of her BFF, whose life she saved in a previous book. (laughs) They're thrilled to meet the woman who saved their sister and are now quite determined to keep her out of her skeevy brother's clutches. We learn that Maureen has a tendency to faint. After talking with the brothers, she realizes that Danbury's was intercepting her mail, which is why none of her friends had been in contact. We also learn her family history, which includes a distressing number of dead relatives in the past three years. If that sounds suspicious to you, you're on the right track. (laughs) Also, her cousin Connor just happened to inherit Carmichael instead of her. They camp at a waterfall so Maureen can bathe, but because of her tendency to faint, Dougal insists she cannot (laughs) swim alone. She does end up fainting, but he saves her from drowning. Later, she is attacked in the woods, but everyone thinks she just fainted and hit her head again. Maureen gets drunk off of the medicine she takes for her wound, and she and Dougal go swimming again and make out. Dougal stops them before they go too far because she's drunk, but she misinterprets his reasoning, leading to a bunch of misunderstandings. Shortly before they arrive at the castle, someone shoots Maureen with an arrow. Oh my gosh. They take her to the castle and tend to her wounds, where she meets the rest of Dougal's brothers, and he declares he's going to marry her. 
They decide to hide her from her brother in a hunting lodge. Dougal is changing her bandages when they are both overcome by passion and have sex with each other. One night, Marine wakes up and a bunch of Molotov cocktails are thrown through the window. It turns out she and Rory are the only ones not drugged and they save everyone from the fire. They decide to ride over to her BFF's house and get married there before Danvers can stop them. The group gets to talking and realizes there's something really suspicious about her father's death and the matter of the inheritance. They decide to head back to Carmichael to force Cousin Connor to show them the will. But first, a squire goes missing, and while everyone's out looking for him, Danvers sneaks in and kidnaps Marine. We learn from Danvers that he and Connor worked together to forge the will, and really, Marine was supposed to inherit it all. However, he was not involved in any of the murders. Marine rips off the trim off of her dress to leave a trail behind her. We meet up with Connor, and he reveals he was the mastermind behind all the attacks and is responsible for most of her dead family members. Connor kills Danvers and goes to kill his prisoners. Luckily, Dougal managed to follow the trail left behind by Marine, and he skewers Connor. Marine and Dougal declare their love. The end. Wow. Wow. (laughs) 16 seconds left. I'm so impressed. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. Why was she always fainting? You know, that was never fully explained. (laughs) They did imply that she wasn't eating enough. Oh, okay. And that, like, she needed to eat more so she wouldn't faint. But she was actually taking medicine and stuff for the fainting, so it seemed almost like there should have been more to it than that. Yeah. Interesting. She's one of those fainting goats. (laughs) (laughs) She does faint a lot in the novel. Did it feel like a Highland romance? Oh, absolutely. Awesome. Kilts and the accents, and (laughs) we had castles and secret passageways, and it was fantastic. Oh, that sounds great. I kind of missed the part where she was captured and so had to leave a trail. Yes, the villains kidnap a squire. So everyone's out looking for the squire, Mm -hmm. and they sneak in through a secret passageway that they learned about from the squire. And kidnap her and take her out. And she leaves bits of her clothing behind Uh as they ride off to a separate area to, like, leave a trail. Okay. So they kidnapped a squire just to get information? Yes. Okay. And the squire is rescued at the end. I left that out of the summary, but (laughs) he survived. How nice for the squire. How would you rate the sex? Um, probably hot tub heat. Nice. All right. I thought it was pretty hilarious. (laughs) he's dressing her wounds and they're overcome with passion (laughs) (laughs) she's been okay she was shot with an arrow Uh and she's been asleep for the past couple days as they've been tending to her wounds and this is the first time she's fully awake and he's changing her bandages and they just get it on oh my goodness (laughs) and you're like wouldn't wouldn't she be in a lot of pain? Like, would wouldn't you finish tying off the bandages before you have sex? I had a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, any uh, superlatives for your book? I would go with Best Brothers. He has a passel of brothers who are all really fun. And I would go with Most Entertaining Birds and the Bees Talk. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> because her BFF, who happens to be Dougal's sister, uh-huh. tries to give her the the talk prior to her <laughs> wedding and not realizing that they've already had sex in the hunting lodge. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she decides to demonstrate <laughs> with a loaf of bread what? and a carrot. <laughs> she decides to demonstrate with a loaf of bread and a carrot. <laughs> and it's as hilarious as it sounds. <laughs> How did that not make your summary? 
I thought I would laugh too hard while oh, reading it. That's acceptable. Oh, it would also, not relevant to the plot, just really funny. <laughs> just really funny. Those are the best parts of summaries. Oh my gosh. This might not be very streamlined. That's okay. We're just going to go for it. What book were you reading? I read Night of the Highland Dragon by Isabel Cooper. And it seemed like it's probably part of a series, maybe like book three. And it seemed like there were probably more in the series. But again, in the physical copy, Mm -hmm. it said nothing about Mm -hmm. either one. So I'm not sure. And I forgot to look it up online. So we'll never know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready. Set, go. The book begins with our hero, William Arundel, who's investigating the gruesome murder of a boy in the woods of a highland village. Using supernatural abilities, he's able to see which way the murderer went, over the mountain towards Loch Arak, where it's rumored that men disappear in the forest and the lady of the castle doesn't age. William takes a room at the boarding house under the pretense that his doctor recommended country air, but Lady Judith, who's there visiting her friend Agnes, the proprietor of the boarding house, doesn't believe him. Judith McAllister is the lady of the castle, and also a couple centuries old dragon. She and William are suspicious of each other from the start, and that suspicion grows as strange occurrences keep happening in the town. Before William arrived, a cow was killed and its eyes removed. A few days after William's arrival, a man breaks his leg when a previously perfectly sound ladder suddenly collapses. Sometime after that, a sheep is found torn open with surgical precision, its eyes and organs suspiciously missing. When William tries to investigate, he's interrupted by Judith. He admits he's actually in Lockerock to solve a murder. She demonstrates extreme concern for her people, and despite their lingering suspicions about each other, they make out on their way back to town. Sounds hasty, but it totally worked. Hot tub heat. Just go with it. On a rainy (laughs) night, William returns to the scene of the sheep murder and uses his supernatural toys. He gets an image of a humanoid and six demon things. And when he puts his toys away, William is attacked by one of the very same demon things from his vision. It slices his forearm, but he kills it with his silver bullets and makes it back to the boarding house where he writes a letter to his superiors and mends his clothes. Later, Agnes informs Judith about the tears in William's clothes, so Judith is super suspicious and follows William to Aberdeen, whence he has been sent to get some helpful demon hunting tools and info. She is not a great spy, and he catches her, they hurl accusations at each other, call a sudden truce, go to lunch, and then get lost in the dark on the way back to the train station. They're attacked by some thugs, but Judith is totally awesome in a fight, and they make it out alive, adrenaline pumping. They're both super horny on the train ride back home and get a little randy in their private compartment. A couple days later at the Harvest Festival, we meet a couple suspicious characters, Judith and William dance, and then the festivities come to a screeching halt because there's a fire in the village. While fighting the fire, William notices that Judith is strangely unaffected by the heat and flames. On the way home, Judith feels like she's being watched. She chants something magical and sees the demon things that attacked William. She leads them into the forest, transforms into a dragon, and kills them all. (laughs) Meanwhile, William has been using his magic plate to follow the demon trails into the forest when he suddenly sees a dragon and watches as it kills six demon things and then turns into judith she spots him he tells her he works for d branch a special supernatural branch of the british government and she promises not to hurt him later judith invites william to dinner so that they can discuss the new alliance of d branch and the McAllister dragon family when business is concluded they have sex to seal the deal oh no i lost my spot oh no oh no the next day Graves have been dug up, and the eyes and hands of the dead have been removed. Mm. Judith and William investigate, narrowing the suspects to two. They split up to confirm alibis. Judith is checking her ding, suspect. Ding. No! 
Keep going anyway. Okay. (laughs) Judith is checking her suspect's alibi and is suddenly paralyzed. The culprit spills some vague details about reasons before being shot by William, who realized what was going on and ran to Judith's aid, and then he passes out. Not William, the bad guy. (laughs) They take the perp back to the castle to decide what to do with him. Meanwhile, William telegraphs his superiors. Judith waits for him in the forest, and when he goes to find her, they have sex against a tree and then decide to take their prisoner to Aberdeen. (laughs) On the way, there's a massive demon attack. William is stabbed. Judith saves his life. They love each other, and they get engaged the end. Wow. It's much more prolonged, the ending, than that. But (laughs) that's the gist of it. And I didn't spoil the bad guy. (laughs) I was going to say, who was behind all of this? I'm not telling, because I think you all should read it. I'm so intrigued for who's sending the demon things after people. Uh Yeah. And when was this set? 1898 or something. It's almost the turn of the 20th century. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was kind of getting that vibe Mm because they have a train. Yep. And telegraphs. And he's Mm -hmm. part of like some special government branch. Yep. So it wasn't super Uh Highland-y. It was a bit more paranormal, Mm -hmm. but... You know, it's set in a Highland village. Sounds cool. I enjoyed it quite a lot. <laughs> so she's a dragon, and uh-huh. he's working for this. Does he have magic himself? He's not a wizard or magical or anything, but he he has special tools <laughs> that he knows how to use okay. to help him solve these murders and stuff. So he has these supernatural chains that he lays out, and it helps rebuild or recreate the murder scene all foggy and stuff so he can't just obviously tell that it wasn't judith who killed the boy in the woods mm. so he can't see exactly who done it but he gets the gist the gist of it yeah okay fascinating mm-hmm. are there a lot of dragons is there like a hidden dragon society <laughs> uh i don't know but judith has two brothers who are also dragons because of course it runs in the family mm. her father was a dragon her mother was a witch, and that's all I know. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, so you told us hot tub heat for the sex. Yeah, it was really great. So being a couple centuries old, <laughs> Judith is no newbie. She's no shy virgin, and I thought it was wonderful. And <laughs> yeah, she knew what she wanted. She got it. Happy, happy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And there was no conflict related to sex. They okay. knew they were attracted to each other and that it probably wasn't the greatest thing because they didn't know everything about each other, but they still got busy. Got busy, <laughs> yes. And then they realized that they love each other and it just worked out really well. I was very pleased with all of it. <laughs> Good. What Uh, awards would you give this one? I don't know. (laughs) My favorite paranormal novel thus far, (laughs) which is funny. In Highlander Month. (laughs) In Highlander Month. Exactly. (laughs) All right, it's time for Zoe. What did you read this week? I read Sinful Scottish Laird, The Highland Groom's Book Two by Julia London. This one also, though it mentions being a part of the Highland Groom's series, doesn't say anything about being book two on the cover. I found that out from the list of books in the series on the inside cover. Ah. And I don't think you have to read the first book to enjoy the second. All right, are you ready? I'm ready. Ready, set, go. 
Daisy, Lady Chatwick, is on her way to her late husband's Scottish hunting log, Auchenard, with her young son Ellis, her cousin Belinda, and various others. When the carriage wheel breaks, a band of rough-looking Scots suddenly appear and offer to help, but Daisy's escort refuses, though she herself is unafraid and, in fact, intrigued by the handsome Scot. When they finally arrive at Auchenard, it is a mess. Daisy sets to work sprucing up the place, and we learn through various interactions that her late husband stipulated in his will that she must remarry within three years of his death or forfeit her son's inheritance. She's been plagued by fortune hunters ever since, and with less than a year to go, is afraid of being forced into another loveless marriage. She's dragged her family to Scotland to buy time for herself and her former love interest, one Captain Robert Spivey of the Royal Navy, who suddenly heard of her widowhood and is making haste to her side. Daisy gets her hands dirty cleaning up the old hunting lodge, clearing out the overgrown garden, and flirting with her neighbor, the handsome Scott from Chapter One. He is Larry <laughs> Kalian Mackenzie, and he scoffs at lying, seductive English women, even if they are beautiful and surprisingly delightful. Meanwhile, <laughs> the gossip around Auchenard is that she's come to find a Scottish husband who will let her live her life as she pleases in return for part of her fortune, and the men of Scotland are happy to oblige. When Daisy <laughs> invites her neighbors to dinner, she finds herself inundated with their marriageable sons instead, much to her frustration. Thank goodness Kalian also shows up, as he has absolutely no interest in her whatsoever. None. They make out in the larder and decide to be friends. Kalian teaches Ellis, Daisy's pale, somber child, how to toss a caber, and Ellis begins to come out of his shell. Daisy is thrilled, and she and Kalian have a few more encounters, friendly and more than friendly, culminating in oral sex in a potting shed. Then Rob shows up. At first, Daisy is relieved and happy, but soon questions arise. How did Rob know where to find them? Why hadn't he come years ago when she was first widowed? Why had he resigned his commission in the Navy before coming to Scotland? Is he just another fortune hunter? Had he ever loved her? And most importantly, why does she feel nothing when she looks at him, but all the things when she even thinks of Kalian. <laughs> Tensions arise between Rob and Kalian, due in part to Daisy and in part to being on opposite sides of the smuggling trade. Eventually, it is unsafe for the good captain to remain in Scotland, and so the entire English party decides to return to England. Kalian hates letting Daisy go, but knows it is best for her and her son, and so confesses his love in Gaelic, which she doesn't understand. The next day, <laughs> Daisy, unable to bear it, runs to Kalian and confesses her love and makes him tell her what he said, which he does, and they have emotional sex before he sends her on her way again, breaking both their hearts. She returns to England despite knowing she will never marry Rob now and he goes off to do some morose smuggling for a few weeks. Kalian's father convinces him all is not lost and Kalian hies off to England to stop Daisy marrying anyone but him. With the help of cousin Belinda, they are married suddenly in a tiny chapel in London, causing a scandal to last a lifetime. A year later, they're happily married, Ellis is a robust boy, and (laughs) things are afoot in Scotland. The end. Wow. (laughs) Ten seconds. Woo! I made it. You made it. Good job. I left a lot out. (laughs) (laughs) There's a whole Highland village fete, kind of. Oh. Yeah. A lot of the tension happens there, but there is caber tossing. Nice. Very Scottish. Mm Mm-hmm. So is it like a love triangle between her and her neighbor and her former Um, Navy boyfriend? (laughs) When Rob first shows up. Kind of, yes, because she remembers her former love for Rob and is like, if we work a little bit, we can rekindle this. And Rob, of course, professes to love her, but she's been having these growing feelings for Kalian. And, you know, the more she interacts with Rob, the less appealing he is. And not because he's not, you know, honorable or anything, but because of these questions that prove that he maybe doesn't love her like he says. Mm -hmm. So it's not a very intense love triangle because she's fallen so much for Kaylian already by the time Rob shows up. Most of the tension in the triangle comes from political and uh, money concerns Mm -hmm. rather than love. 
I'm a little shocked that we have a we have a will stipulation set up by a former husband. Yes. I feel like that isn't normally the case. No, that seems Usually unusual. it's your parents and your grandparents who want you to marry to mm-hmm. inherit your fortune. Yeah, well, if you guys read this, you'd be so angry at her former husband too because huh. <laughs> she didn't marry him for love. She was it was an arranged marriage and she did her duty, mm-hmm. but she did come to care for him and she thought that he cared for her and she nursed him on his death deathbed, et cetera, et cetera. And then she finds out afterwards that he made this stipulation because no woman could be trusted to take care of a son and not like squander all the fortune. That jerk. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She's pretty heartbroken by that, if not by his death. (laughs) Understandably so. And then um, many of the men that you meet in this book, not the hero, obviously, many of the men think the same thing. Like, she must have a husband because she doesn't know what to do with this fortune. And it's like, um, she's been managing it just fine. (laughs) And none of them are paying any attention to that. So what era is this set in? This is 1740s, I want to say. Okay. And um, because she is a widow, almost from the get-go, yeah, from the first chapter, uh, she's pretty horny. Oh. <laughs> and that she loves flirting. And she's like, I want a man to please me because it's been too long and I miss a man's touch. You know? <laughs> and so uh-huh. she was the horniest heroine that I've ever come across in a book like this. Wow. Yeah. So Strong I, words. Yeah. Yeah. Very. I was just <laughs> so where so would you rate it? In the sex, let's see. I was going to say hot tub heat, but surely they can't all be hot tub heat. (laughs) It's a solid rating. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like we picked well. I think we did. And what superlatives would you give your book? Well, I would definitely give it horniest heroine. (laughs) And I think most pointless heartbreak. Because all of the things keeping them apart when they clearly love each other and even confess their love to each other are societal constructs. Hmm. And they eventually figure that out. Damn, those societal constructs. Yeah. So, it is time to vote for the book we're most interested in reading based on everyone else's descriptions. All right. I don't want to get stuck going last, so I'm going to vote for Elizabeth's book just for the best birds and bees description. (laughs) And I'm going to vote for Melodies because of the paranormal. And I want to know who the bad guy is. I think I also have to vote for Melodies. I want to know who the bad guy is. And that was an interesting paranormal twist to it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. It was very well done. I think you should both read it. And all of you listeners, I think you should read it too. Go to your local library and pick up a copy of Night of the Highland Dragon by Isabel Cooper. Okay. <laughs> All right. This means I win cocktail swords. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and you get to pick out the prize for next month. Oh, boy. Next month, we are diving into sports romances. All right. I'm excited, kind of. I, I don't want very many football ones, but other than that, <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. So what did you guys think of our Highlander theme? I was disappointed this yeah. month again. Me too. I love a Highlander romance, and I feel like the ones we picked were just lacking. Yeah. Until our grab bag episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, this is definitely a genre I already know I like. And so I felt like the ones we picked didn't quite live up to what I know it can be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's see. What kind of tropes did we see? We had a marriage of convenience. Mm -hmm. We had 
forced marriage. Mm-hmm. We had some clan fighting. We had some kidnaps. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Plenty of kidnapping. Mm-hmm. You oh. know, we didn't really have that many kilts. No, not that many. I mean, they were there. They just weren't emphasized. Yeah. So I think the Bruce's Angel was my favorite of the three that we read together. I agree. And that wasn't particularly Highland-y. No, it was much more piratey than Highlandy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I liked the characters better than our other ones. Next week, we'll be moving into one we are less familiar with. We're going to be doing sports romance. Yeah, I'm less excited about this one, but we're going to be doing another intro episode, so we will talk about that next week. Yeah, it's a it's one I've, I'm not usually drawn to, but I have read some really good ones in that before. Yeah, we read yeah. a couple last season, mm-hmm. uh, one in our romantic comedy subgenre and then one in our authors of color subgenre. Mm-hmm. And they were pretty good. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share it with your friends. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, anywhere you get your podcasts, you can listen to Romancing the Amazon. Go to your local (laughs) library and find your own Highlander romance novels to read and enjoy. Join us next week for our Intro to Sports Romances episode. And catch you next time.